0: Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 11. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I am your host, Ryan J. Downey, and our guest this episode is Igor Cavalera, drummer, co-founder of the legendary Sepultura and Cavalera Conspiracy. If this is your first time checking out the podcast and you enjoyed this episode, please check out some of our previous episodes as well with great guests like M. Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold, Mark Morton from Lamb of God, Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm, Jamie Josta from Hatebreed, and why don't you leave us a five-star review and a sentence or two in the iTunes store? The idea here is that we have wide-ranging conversations that always come back to Metallica somehow, somewhere. Sometimes they're entirely about Metallica, sometimes they're partially about Metallica, but Metallica is the anchor, it is the continuing thread between the guests, all of whom are people who have worked with the band or toured with the band or are just big fans of the band. We hope you're enjoying what we're doing so far, because we're having a lot of fun doing it. Together with his brother Max, Igor Cavalera founded the band Sepultura in Brazil, releasing classic and important metal albums like Arise, Beneath the Remains, and Chaos AD. Though Sepultura continues today without either Cavalera brother, Max and Igor have been reunited in Cavalera Conspiracy, who just released their fourth and, in my opinion, best album. I love all the Cavalera Conspiracy records. And this one is definitely my favorite. And I'm not just saying that because it's the newest. Why would I say that? I'm not in the band. I love the record. If you don't believe me, go check it out. If you do believe me, go check it out. Either way, you should listen to that new Cavalera Conspiracy record. They also recently completed the Return to Roots tour, where they played the Roots record in its entirety. I recently had Max on as my guest on our sister podcast, No Prize From God. And I'm thrilled to present this conversation with Igor Cavalera for Speak and Destroy to all of you. Plus, I was able to ask something I have always wanted to know. Was Jason Newstead asked to join Sepultura? So here it is my conversation with Igor Cavalera of Cavalera Conspiracy and Mix Hell. This is Speak and Destroy. <laughs> Uh talking about this record really quick, the, the first thing um to talk about is uh Max told me that you were really sick during recording and that you uh that you powered through um but that you actually recorded a lot of the drums while you were very ill.
1: It was crazy, man. I, I just trying to fight this like, cold and I had this really bad cough, like my chest was full of uh, like really, really bad And then I remember even the producer, uh, Arthur, one day he came up to me and he was like, man, I was editing some of your drums and I must have about a thousand coughs of of, of your between tracks. Like songs I'll be like, like crazy. So it was a weird time uh, because I was doing a lot of traveling and I guess my, uh, my resistance went really low. But it was cool. It was cool because also like... I don't know when you have to do stuff you have to do it you know it's the same with the show yeah you can you can be sick like 5 minutes before you perform but then when you perform you you just do it you know and then you go right back to being miserable again so that was kind of like my whole thing during the recording I was like miserable in a hotel for most of the time and then I'll go to the studio and power all those drums and put all my energy into it and then back to to the hotel to the point that I didn't really do anything else while I was in phoenix i was that that was the only thing I did, so it was cool. it was cool
0: somewhere out there, one of those uh like drum programme people needs to get the Igor Cavalera cough, someone can use that as like their snare sound. I
1: know, man. I, wish, I wish they sample it, like kind of like a sweet leaf kind of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Or a
1: joke thing in one, but I guess maybe Arthur still have some of those to to play around with, like maybe a B-side of a yeah. hidden track or some, something you, you like that. You could
0: make a Mix Hell song with that, use it as like the as like the rhythm yeah. track <laughs> for yeah, coughing it, over yeah. and over. Like,
1: turn into a snare or something.
0: <laughs> So tell me a little bit about what the process is like making these records now, because obviously with the first Cavalera Conspiracy record, you know, you guys hadn't played together in a while. And now with, you know, putting out records as CavCon and touring behind it, and then with the whole Roots tour that you guys just did, and, and you know, just how much more in sync I would imagine that you're, that you, that the two of you are, uh, what's the process like now for putting one of these records together?
1: It's funny because in the in the first few uh, Cavallera, we had this idea, almost like it came from like we read somewhere. We don't know how much true it is that SOD. I think they they wrote and recorded their album in like a week or something. It was something that we heard and we. I thought with Max that would, that would be cool if we could do something like this where we just put it on the spot and then. Of course, Max has a bunch of riffs, but to actually turn those riffs into songs, we only would have a few days to do it. So the first three Cavalera records, we did it pretty much like that, where we just went into the studio. I I had a few of the riffs, but still, all the major work was done right as we are recording. And then on this one, we change a little bit because, like you're saying, you know, like... Me and Max, we have such a good chemistry together that we felt it would be cool to bring someone else to to do something with us. And that was Arthur, where the first three records, we pretty much did ourselves with the help of a really good engineer at the time, you know, in different locations and different people. But as like a main producer, this is the first time we're working as Cavalera with someone that, pretty much helped us with all the way from structuring to trying new stuff. And that's something that we haven't experienced in in a long time. And that was quite, uh, I have to say, quite uh, surprising in a good way. Because then again, you know, like someone coming in, especially a younger person coming in into this world that me and Max are so used to do it, it can be a, a little tricky, you know, like yeah. if the person doesn't know how to, to act or how to to deal with the whole situation, he could be tricked again into being just another engineer again.
2: Yeah.
1: And that was not the case with Arthur. Arthur came in and he was really pushing certain things. And, and I guess that triggered on me and Max to even go harder on, on certain things for this record.
2: Yeah. Not only
1: sound wise, but also like just in general, just to have something a little more fresh that maybe just me and Max wouldn't, we, we would be a bit more comfortable on just doing certain things where I think Arthur, he brought in a lot more of a, a little like challenges for me and Max to, to get ourselves to like a, a little over a different level that we would. So that was great looking now back at
0: it yeah that's killer and that that's what you want ultimately from a producer you know is yeah. somebody somebody who you can work with and you're comfortable but also isn't a yes man who's just gonna go along yeah. with everything yeah. you want to do that's
2: the tricky
1: part because that person if he doesn't really know what he's doing uh, he can be like super annoying
2: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> especially dealing with two old bastards in the studio like me and max yeah and it's like dude if that person doesn't know what's up, it will be like, okay, man, we're done with you. Yeah. So I have to say it it is something that it's cool, but at the same time it would, it it has to be something with someone that really knows what's up.
0: So what, so when you're going into, uh, you know, when you know you have a Cavalera record coming up, um, what do you do to sort of mentally prepare and what kind of, You know, given that the two of you have made so many records together before, and and obviously a a lot of records apart with different projects and different bands. What are some of the things that you kind of go into wanting to make sure is the same in terms of like components that people recognize and, and expect, but also new things that you want to explore and new ways to challenge yourself or things you're inspired by, you know, that make each record different than the records you've made together.
1: I don't know it it's it's hard because at the same time we also know that don't matter how much we would try to mimic something else it it becomes something that it's ours somehow because the way we play the way yes. we, we perform so in that sense, I think it's cool to try stuff because we know at the end it's not gonna be exactly as we. We thought it it would, even if we try super hard to copy something, it will be our version of that. And that already will be something completely different. So I think it's cool to have that in mind so you don't really, uh, I don't know, like you don't get trapped into into the idea that I I have to do something completely new. I cannot be, you know, like uh, influenced by different stuff. Which I think for some bands, it's it's quite dangerous. Because if you get into this whole paranoia of, of being original and being original, yes, and then you end up not writing anything because you're not going to like anything that comes out. So I think in that sense, that's how me and Max, we try to keep a balance on, on where the things that we're listening to and the things that we would like to sound somehow, we try to put everything together and at the end we know it's gonna be different because we come from also a lot of different worlds and different ideas so I think that by keeping an open mind that helps a lot going each every project we go together
0: yeah and I I think uh, you know it's interesting because I was just talking about almost this exact same topic earlier uh, in another interview uh, but how you know like Metallica for example they're such an important band and so influential and and metallica sounds like metallica but at the same time if you reverse engineer it you can say oh it's diamond head plus motorhead with led zeppelin or whatever but what makes it unique and what it is is that it's those people taking those influences and combining them in a certain way that comes out through them and yeah I, i i gotta tell you as somebody who's interviewed bands for you know 20 plus years uh how many times i hear like oh I don't really know how to describe us. I don't think we really fit in anywhere. Uh, you know, we get lumped in with this genre, that genre. We don't really fit there. And it's like, there's nothing, if if anything, I think that it's that much more admirable to kind of acknowledge the roots, if you'll pardon the bad pun, of, uh, of where you come from. But understanding that it, exactly like you said, it's always going to be different and unique based on the fact that it's you and that it's coming through you you know that's one of the things i love about max is that he's always paying attention to like new bands and you know and he'll he'll talk uh just as much about you know napalm death and terrorizer as he will like coat orange and uh you know nails or something like he's just always like absorbing things but then channeling it back through like the unique voice that you guys have as artists that that makes it yours i think that's what great great bands do you know
1: yeah because I, i Again, I think some people are scared of, uh, you know, like, oh, I don't want people to find out where I got my ideas from. And it's like, come on, even if I tell you exactly all the drummers that I listen to, that I get inspired to do this record, even if you try, you're not going to be not even close to to what I did because it's a whole different way on... Researching and, and translating that into yeah. how you
0: translating, so Yeah,
1: it's, it's funny. It's funny, Joe, because you know some people are so protective of certain things, and it's and at the end of the day, I think it's just like it's cool, you know. If you if you ask, like you're saying, if you ask the dudes from Metallica, they'll probably say on the first records they were ripping off a lot of the new wave, you know, with the British heavy metal shit, like straight up, they were biting that stuff, and then of course it was their sound.
0: Yeah, I mean, their first few shows, they were playing Diamondhead songs and not necessarily telling the crowd they were covers.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. it's
0: like, that's kind of how everyone starts. You know, I, I Vili Volo from him years ago, I'm um, doing an interview with him where he said, uh he said, yeah, my band is just typo negative meets you too. And it was like, he says that and you're like, yeah, I mean, it is, but it's, but it's not, it's like so much different. And you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, you've made something uniquely your own out of that but yeah but like i understand when you say it that way that i always i always find that more uh respectable than trying to have these grand you know like everyone's reinventing the wheel all the time
1: exactly yeah and then and that's something that max always like from from day one he was always like man you know even his lyrics he was like man this is based on this band or it's based on this movie like straight up i have no problem saying like you know like i rise Rise, for example, it, it was a title that we heard from many times from, from this old uh, crusty band called Amoebics from mm. England.
2: Yeah. Have a,
1: they have an album called Arise, which me and Max will listen to it like a million times. And then we're, when we did Arise, we were like, man, we, we need to call it the same because it's such a cool name <laughs> and it presents so much to us. So Yeah. So those things were always, like for us, very special to, yeah. to that connection
0: Max told me uh, recently actually about um, this transformative experience for both of you uh, in terms of music uh, going to see Queen, uh play in Brazil as kids and now that was like a big you know you guys went from being really into soccer and this and that and whatever it's all of a sudden it was like uh music is gonna be our thing um was that was that the the transformative moment for you as well were there other experiences that you had independent of Max and what was kind of what got you going? And music. Oh
1: actually it's funny because i was already like playing the drums mm. like since i was like six but i, would, I just played because i love the drums I, I i didn't have any uh i don't know i didn't want to even to be in a band i just liked the drums so to be fair the moment we saw queen it was the moment that me and max would just look at each other we're like this is it we have to turn this into, like, we, we got to make music, man. This is it. And it's funny because it was like an older cousin of ours who had this insight. And he was like, man, he always saw how me and Max were different from all the other kids. And I don't know. Somehow he was like, dude, I think this, this concert is going to change their life. And it definitely did. Like, to this moment when I see this this cousin of ours, I'm like, man, you know it's your fault. <laughs> no. And it's you, and he's like, I know, I knew it I knew that the mem- the moment you guys saw that, it would be a different thing, and it's pretty cool to see that, that sometimes some people can see that in kids, and, and maybe change their whole life you know, yeah. and definitely, for me and Max it definitely did, especially we're talking about Queen uh during the game tour in 81 mm-hmm. uh, so they were probably the biggest band at that time in in rock so that that's one of the things when you see a band on, on their top form like that it's so inspiring it's not like you've seen somebody like 40 years later
2: yeah yeah
1: and it's a whole different thing like you you saw them at their peak when when they were like just absolute like destroying like everything in the show was perfect from light sound the performance everything so it, It couldn't be more, for us, something that inspired, like, I don't know, any other show, it could be a different thing. You know, maybe if we saw, I don't know, like we saw Quiet Riot a few years later and it wasn't that amazing, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: it's not Queen. (laughs) um, It's not
1: Queen, Queen, you know, at that time. Maybe if we saw maybe Queen at, at Hot Space or something like that, it wouldn't be as killer, I think.
0: Yeah. So that was, and I know also it was kind of around the same time, um, you know, a lot of things were changing in, in your lives as far as, you know, losing your father, which I, I also lost a parent when I was, when I was young as well. Um, and, you know, a change in lifestyle from kind of what, how you were accustomed to living and then, you know, that whole thing. So where did um, metal come into the picture for you, and do you? And do you think that those events, kind of what was happening in your life and family and everything were those intertwined somewhere i find a lot of people like myself you know i i didn't realize it at the time but as an adult it's kind of like oh yeah i guess it makes sense that i got into like metal and hardcore you know a couple years after (laughs) my mom passes away and you know that that kind of shit, sort of as an outlet you know
1: yeah because even at that time i remember like me and max even uh, the whole queen thing I remember we would look for the like the faster songs in it like the the ballads at the time that all those bands had we we're like yeah that was that didn't do anything to us it's like the fast songs the songs with the more energy so i think naturally we were looking for bands that only did that part
2: mm.
1: it stripped all the other stuff and, and they were like focused on on the energy itself and then of course First time you hear someone like Motorhead, you're like, Yeah that's it. There's no no ballad, no crap. They just yeah. just straight into it. You
0: it's know? just like, an album full of stone cold crazy. <laughs> Instead yeah. of like you have to find those one song or two. It's the whole yeah. album. <laughs> so yeah. yeah.
1: So that was something that naturally like in in Metal later and, and hardcore, that's what we were looking for. We were looking for bands that would just keep that energy. Through the whole record
0: yeah and and where were you getting records at that time did you have stores friends cousins how, how, how did you get a hold of stuff
1: well at first you know of course like all the big records it, it, they, eventually they would be made in brazil you know like the, the you know the stuff like kiss queen and then of sabbath zeppelin all, all that stuff it was there and then later on once we start discovering the more more like underground stuff, and then we needed to to dig a little more to to find our stuff, like start tape trading, exchanging vinyl with with different people.
2: Yeah,
1: like we buying like certain fanzines, and and then doing the the thing that a lot of the kids in the eighties did, which was like looking through the tank list of uh, yes, of-
0: <laughs> yep. I talk well, about man, I talk about this man, all the time. And,
1: yeah, man, okay. Out of like these 30 names, I know there's something that's gonna really kick ass because if they're mentioning them, it, they have to be good. Yeah, all all those things add up. Especially in Brazil, it was so hard to find those records. So we we had to like a friend would travel. It would be like okay, you need to bring you know this, I don't know this five records. So it was all kinds of ways of of trying to get. Music through, you know.
2: Yeah, the
0: Thanks list was big for me. Oh, yeah, like the late '80s, early '90s. Also, and I end up talking about this on this podcast a lot too. But the t-shirts that bands would wear, you know, that would always that turned me on to so many bands. I mean, whether it's you know the Misfits. The Chrome you know, seeing guys in bigger metal bands that were repping some of these smaller bands—that's how I would discover so many of them. I've—I've I, I've said this before. Pe- people listening to this podcast are probably already tired of hearing it, but I discovered the Dead Kennedys because David Ellsworth had a Dead Kennedy sticker on his bass, and I had a Megadeth poster on my wall with that, you know. And it's like then I see that at the yeah. record store, and I'm like, because also you, you know, you only have so much money when you're a kid, and you didn't—you yeah. weren't hearing these bands on the radio. There was no way to check it out if you didn't have a friend turning you onto it. You really had to kind of just roll the dice and spend all of your money on a record and hope that you really liked it. <laughs> and, I,
1: and I, yeah, I remember buying also records because of the cover and being yeah. really disappointed at some of them.
0: Yes, yes. And they're, thing, they're, you it's
1: know. like, I'll go to a record store, and it's like, man, this if this have like a crazy devil, on the, it gotta be good. And then listen to it, and it's like, wow, they only had the cover, the rest, you know? Yeah. like yeah. I think it was a band called Demon, at yep. the time and we bought one of their records and it, it didn't do it for us We were like man this is not what we were expecting from yeah. the cover
0: well and i used to see records from like molly hatchet and you know bands that had like those frank frazetta like barbarian covers and i would think like oh this is going to be like metal and then yeah. get it and i'm like what is this <laughs> this is not what i like exactly. exactly yeah yeah and uh yeah and then meanwhile on the flip side you know i discovered celtic frost because of the cover art like, straight up 100%. It was the, uh, the Emperor's Return EP. Um, and I was just like, well, this look, this has got to be good. <laughs> like, just yeah. based on how it looked. And then it was, you know? Th- it worked. But I
1: have to say, most of the time, it, it would work, because a lot of the bands, you know, like, they were really pushing the limits of, of art and, and trying really cool stuff. Yeah. Then and again, like, you would get completely disappointed, especially because you didn't have that much money to buy a bunch of records
2: yeah it
0: was gonna be a while before you could yeah, take that I chance again that one and it, and it was wrong it, it was, <laughs> that yeah so what was your introduction to Metallica specifically do you remember what the first Metallica song you you heard was and, and how and where and all that sort of thing
1: I remember me and Max we got into Metallica someone recorded like a tape of Kill 'Em Em All and it was really cool because at the, at that time we're also listening to a lot of punk and, and all together. And I think the, the fact that in Brazil, we're so naive to to experiment the music, we we had no uh, separation between a lot of the stuff that we were getting. Like a tape would have on the A side, kill them all. And then on the B side, it would have like discharge or mm-hmm. or, vent. And for us, that was like, it's fucking killer. This whole tape is killer you know there's two bands they're all they're sick and then later we will find out that it's like wow that that one it was like a metal band and the other one was like
0: a. I had a very similar experience with you know when friends would make you tapes and uh you know compilations were a big thing like my my whole introduction to hardcore was somebody taped the uh new york city hardcore the way it is compilation on revelation and it's like you know gorilla biscuits Um, I think Youth of Today was on there. Uh, Sick of It All. You know, all those bands I was hearing the first time in, like, the compilation setting. And then you would go out and, like, you know, buy the full links from the the bands you liked on there. So, yeah, I, I know what you mean as far as, like, a lot of times those bands would kind of bleed together and you didn't really understand the distinction between, like, oh, this is a punk band, this is a crossover band, this is thrash, this is power metal, this is, like, it just all seemed like... I don't know heavy music to me at a certain point.
1: Yeah, and and I, you know, Metallica for us, it was one of those bands where they were in the middle of all these things that we were discovering. Yeah. So it was not like we found one band and we we're like, oh, this is it. They're amazing. We're only gonna listen to this now. We never had that moment, you know. Like I think with Metallica there was like at least five or six bands that we were like, yeah, this is all fucking cool. Yeah. So we never had like the the Metallica fever, I would say, even though we thought like they were great, you know, like especially the first few, few records, they were like always surprising us with cool stuff.
2: Yeah, I
0: felt like they pushed the boundaries um, each time. You know, it's like, I, you know, I was too young to be in, into them back then but apparently like even when ride the lightning came out there were fans that were like oh there's a ballad on here you know the record's not fast enough or whatever you know it's like every every time they put out a record there was there was some kind of pushback about how they were pushing the envelope every time and i think you know obviously history has proven that those were actually smart creative decisions that they were making and pushing forward you know
1: that's that's
0: you know how it goes every time you put out a record everyone complains that it doesn't sound like the last one and then when the next one comes out, the one that they didn't like before is now the classic that you're measured against. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, it, and it's all good, man. You know, I mean, like, the funny thing with Metallica, as especially as a drummer, is that I always felt that Lars had a much better style when he was not too worried about being a good drummer. Like, once he became too, I don't know, like, too anal about like everything every little hit like with the black album and everything and then that's when i think most people realized that he was not that much of a solid drummer where i think in kill em all and ride the light even on master of puppets the the weird style that he had it, it was amazing it was really cool and then later like the more that he stripped down and, and make it more minimalistic It gave him, like, I think, a really bad rap as a drummer.
0: I think there's something really unique about um, his chemistry that he has with Hetfield. Where there's something about Hetfield's, you know, right hand and his his rhythm playing that that's that's very percussive almost. It's almost like the rhythm guitars are the drums and a lot of that old Metallica stuff. That the way, the unique way that Lars played fit with that, and especially before, you know things being put into a grid and everything being so like, you know, precise with with, like the little tempo shifts and things like that. Um, There was like a magic in that, you know, the mistakes even. Yeah.
1: But I, but I have to say, I I could only imagine if, uh, if James played the drums and the guitars, I think that it would be lethal. (laughs) And,
0: and, and he is a drummer, right? I see you get on the drums and it's like, wow.
1: It's a good thing he doesn't do much cuz Lars will be out of a job like in a sec. <laughs> I
0: I I will say um you know I was talking about this uh I was with my with uh, Dave Peters from Throwdown uh 2 days ago and we were talking about um there's this part and now that we're dead one of the songs on the newest Metallica album where he does this he does this double bass thing and this thing on the toms that like I couldn't imagine another drummer putting in that spot in the riff. Like it kind of doesn't make sense, but then I was saying like it's almost that much more cool and and incredible because he, another um, like a a quote unquote better metal drummer you know wouldn't think to do that and it's just something that he came up with because his sensibility is so different and then it turns out being something cool you know so I think I think there are examples of that you know in his playing um, it's also interesting to me I don't know if you ever saw videos or anything but there was some festival where Lars couldn't make the show and they had like Joey Jordison and uh, Dave Lombardo filled in and um, there's a bunch of it on YouTube. And you know, those guys are obviously both, you know, two of the best drummers ever and Joey in particular, you would, you would think going into it that it would be Lombardo, but it was really Joey who uh, really was just killer. Um, But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's awesome. And it was clear that he was a fan and he knew every little fill and everything. And he was also doing it in his own style and just so solid and whatever. And, but it is different you know it's like they're a band where it's like for better or worse you know the drummer yeah uh,
1: but, and again I, they are also playing his parts
2: yes true you know
1: and i think that's something that a lot of people don't don't acknowledge on drummers yeah that it's for me i appreciate a lot more someone that creates certain parts almost like as riffs yeah someone that is the technical perfect Yes, you know, for me is I like drummers who who come up with with stuff instead of just you know following the guitar or, or doing whatever. So in, in that sense, I think you know, like he has his credits, you know, on creating certain riffs with his drum patterns. Mm-hmm. Same with Lombardo, I think, you know. It, yes, it, for me that's that's where I appreciate. It. It's like, look, you're not just following; you're making your own thing, and you're writing your own music on the drums and then that's something that some people they they forget they just look for the perfect drummer with the perfect technique and for me that's boring you know
0: God I'm so in agreement with you I'd be curious what you think about this because for me with Slayer in particular I think and this isn't you know this is nothing personal about anybody but just as a fan as a listener I think Slayer has had better quote-unquote drummers than Lombardo from a technical standpoint and consistency and whatever but Lombardo's the best drummer in Slayer. Like, no question. You know what I mean? It's like, that's... And it's a hard thing to explain because you'll talk to some people who are very very technically minded and, like you said, are always looking for the perfect technique. And it's just like, yeah, man, but only Dave Lombardo was going to write those drum parts and spill the blood. And you know what I mean? Like, that's just... Yeah. And you 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 recognize... I mean, you know, and you're one of those drummers too where there's... In metal, there's few drummers, especially now, with the way records are made and how... You know somebody's just sampling like gene Ogland's snare from some kit or what? you know what i mean it's like everything's yeah. reamped and whatever there are a few drummers in metal and i would 100 percent put you on this list where you recognize they're playing you know what i mean like you can hear that drummer under any riff and go like yeah. oh that's so-and-so you know that's that's igor that's dave lombardo yeah. that's you know. that's
1: that's where i come in with, with the whole Lars thing, and i think he has a lot of credits on a lot of drum parts that he he wrote where you know like we're saying he he, you know he set up something that it's him you know yeah and that's a lot more important than the dude that does like a crazy drum solo for 20 minutes and Mm -hmm. and it's not my thing you know at the end of the day like i do like drummers who who can of course who have like some technical parts on it but I think it's way more about being in the pocket and and just yeah. like you know that's that's what I like to see when I draw I like to feel the drums not someone that is depending on effects and, and things but he can actually hit the drums so they sound amazing on stage and of course they're gonna sound good on the PA
0: yes you know there's another great example of what we're talking about is Bill Ward you know yeah I mean Bill Ward's not the most Technically skilled drummer. He's fucking Bill Ward, and it sounds like Black Sabbath, in large part because of how Bill Ward plays the drums.
1: Yeah, well, he he's definitely my hero, you know, in that sense. And I think, of course, a lot of people, you know, everyone focus on on Bohm and and the whole zeppelin thing, but for me, he's as important as John Bohm, you know, in in the fact Absolutely. that he creates so much crazy cool stuff with Sabbath. There, it's like. He's he's drum riffs for me. They're like again, as important as Tony Iomi's riffs.
0: Yes. One hundred percent. And I'm uh and, and and by the way, for a quick side note, I'm doing a uh Q and A moderating a Q and A with Tony Iomi in a couple of weeks at the musicians institute here in LA. And I'm so fucking psyched. I've never met him or interviewed him or anything, and it's just one of those like
1: Yeah, we we, we those met the them hands,
0: much- you know, that made metal, you know. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's such a cool guy, too, man. It's you know that's the cool thing about it. You know, like someone him or even Bill Ward, we met them and they were so cool. You know, like just chill, because they know, you know, they don't need to prove anything. They, dude, they know what.
0: I say that all the time because I also, you know, in addition to to music journalism, I've covered a lot of movies, right? And people will ask me about different actors and actresses and say like, oh, is you know, so and so an asshole or is this or that or whatever? And dude, I've always said that the, the, the one. If there's any truism, any consistency, it's that the higher up the food chain somebody is in the movie world, the cooler they are. And it's because if I walk into a room to interview, you know, Johnny Depp or Tom Cruise or somebody, they don't have shit to prove to me. You know, they're comfortable in their own skin. They're cool. And those are the people that are the nicest to you because – I don't know, they're they're interested in in the person on the other side of the table. It's more sort of this B and C list are the people that you see showing up with the entourage and making sure you know they're somebody because they're they're trying to prove they're somebody. I've I've always wanted to ask you this. Um, I don't remember what year it was. It might have been like 1998 or something. And, and it's great because it's been so long now that I think it's it won't be touchy. But there was I think it was Metal Hammer or something like that. One of those magazines had Jason Newsted on the cover, and there was a big poll quote about him wanting to sing for Sepultura. Um, and this was after the split with Max and everything, obviously. And I rem- and this is just me being a Metallica nerd. I-, I remember the the rumor anyway was that that caused some a little bit of trouble in the Metallica camp. When that, when that article came out. Um, but I'm always curious, you know, now obviously hindsight and, uh, you know, everything, so much has happened and God, I guess it's been 20 years. Um, what was the situation back then at the time? Was that an idea that was ever discussed? Were, were you guys, because I know, I know he was a big supporter of Sepultura and, and you guys were friends with him, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, it was never it was never
0: mentioned, I have to say.
1: Because he was such a good friend of, of ours that it it was, you know, to, to be fair, it was really in, in respect of what he did in Metallica. We would never ask something like this. It's as, like asking, you know, like in football, if it the coach for whatever, you don't want to ask that coach to leave and come to your team unless that coach, it's out of a job. Right. That's how I see it. So it was never a question. Even maybe he thought, I don't know, you know, it, it, it was his desire. But for us at the time, no, we never thought about that, you know, especially because he, it, maybe if he wasn't playing with Metallica, it would be a completely different thing.
2: Yeah.
1: But we, ne- we never asked him or, or, or even mentioned things like that.
0: Were there other guys from bands of that era that you looked at or talked to, or that or that tried out for the gig at that time?
1: Not really. I think everyone was pretty much chilled, you know, in the sense that nobody came forward or, or asked or, or anything like that. It, it was really, and then again, I think it, it was it was also we wanted something new. Yeah. So I think it, it was. It was a combination of both: of us not not redoing something, and also not having someone from
0: from another band in. Yeah, that's somehow... always that's always my advice to bands. Even you know uh, when when there's a significant lineup change, especially a singer. I feel like going with somebody who's quote unquote unknown or lesser known is always the better move because as soon as you get somebody who's so established somewhere else. Then it becomes like, oh, this person plus this band, you yeah. know, like Avenged Sevenfold with Mike Portnoy instead of just Avenged Sevenfold, you know. Um, you know, obviously sometimes it works out really cool, like um, Black Sabbath with Dio, and you know, there, there, there are some exceptions, but I think generally it's it's kind of a bad move to, to get someone of of equal or greater stature in the yeah. scene because it it, it over it starts to overshadow what the band is on its own.
1: Yeah, and I and I think you know like. Been like Sabbath, also of course. They were friends, you know. Yeah. It's like, like when Ian Gillan did uh Born Again. You know, they we were chilling together. It's like, yeah, you want to do this, you know? It's different. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I don't know. For us, it was a complete different thing.
0: How did that relationship begin with Sepultura and Jason Newstead? Do you remember what? Because I remember, I, I remember as a fan, just him wearing, you know, Sepultura shirts and hoodies and stuff and pictures and. Always kind of repping and being a supporter. Where where did you, how did you guys first connect?
1: Well, actually, it's crazy because the first time we played at the Omni in uh, Oakland, Mm -hmm. James was there. He came to see us. And of course, we were all freaking out because he was backstage and hanging out. And it was him and uh, Jim Martin from Faith No More at the time. Wow. Yeah. And I remember me and Max were like, dude, this is crazy. You know, there's people that we listen to, it they're they're actually here. And uh Paul Ballard from uh Exodus. Oh wow. Rest so in like,
0: peace. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and actually Paul he was so crazy. He he the next day we were playing LA and he jumped on the van with us and he came to LA. So he was like a wild dude. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so, like
1: just
0: yeah. like you would want him to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So at first we we met James, and then later on we met jason and and he was like totally into like what we were doing, like he knew every song, and then, to the point that I visited him once at his house, and I found out he that he had two cats, and uh his cats were called Max and Eagle.
0: <laughs> that's fucking dem- awesome, yeah, yeah, that's he so dem- fucking cool,
1: yeah, but i Dude, and to be fair, he's one of the coolest bass players ever. Absolutely. Like crazy. I remember like watching him and he, he he's insane, you know, like he's so good. And of course, jamming with him, like we we had to, the chance to play with him a few times. Like I remember even like jamming like the Misfits or, or some stuff. And the bass is just like it's beyond, like, it's different when someone can play the bass with that much uh, aggression. Yes. He's one of the guys, you know, and I remember finishing playing with him and being like, are you sure you're playing the same bass as our bass player was playing? With <laughs> yeah, I this, mean,
0: because it, it's like, he, uh yeah, just that attack, I mean, when I think about his style of playing, I think about hard work, like somebody yeah. who's working hard every second, you know, like, just like, He's like a weightlifter or something you know what I mean like just
1: oh man and, and it was funny because he also made a comment that made me like completely like uncomfortable we we finished playing like the, the, the Misfits thing and and I said the whole thing about the bass and he looked at me and he was like well on the other hand I don't remember the drums on this song sounding so amazing so we're both kind of like complimenting each other and I was like wow oh, man, this is, this is fucking cool yeah, because he played that that song a million times, you know, with Metallica. Yeah, which was, I think it was Green Hell that we did, you know, like just jamming in our room.
0: Yeah, oh, it's so fucking cool. Did you um, did you guys ever record stuff with him at uh his studio, the Chop House, or what? You know, he yeah, always. Yeah, we
1: we did we did one song there uh for for one of the the later Sepultura stuff, and then oh, that's he used right, to do a lot that. of demos and stuff. You, you should call me to come to the house to do demos but I always always like and then Andreas at the time he, he was more he, he did a few visits to his studio to do some some crazy like bands under different names that they did together so that was kind of cool
0: yeah he's got I mean Newstead has just a vault full of all kinds of weird projects and you know yeah. Machine it's Head all. and Voivod and all these different people coming I, by and I, I, Sepultura, obviously. obviously um, yeah, it's so cool I always you know like we were talking about kind of bringing our conversation full circle you know those bands that would rep for other bands and how and that process of discovery and uh you know I always thought newstead was kind of that ambassador even even when he first joined the band he would wear like sacred Reich t-shirts and flotsam and jetsum yeah. t-shirts and kind of kind of uh, would really push to uh raise the visibility of of a lot of the yeah. bands that were coming up
1: and I see you yeah, guys doing that. I mean, I metal, because I, I think that's the thing with, with Metallica. Those guys were wearing a lot more of like obscure, like punk bands and, and hardcore. Mm-hmm. And even like, you know, like stuff like Sister of Mercy or, or The Mission. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Jason came in and he was like, no, this is happening right now in metal where i didn't see the guys from Metallica represent that much
2: yeah you
1: know like they were not they wouldn't wear like a band like a metal band from night right now where jason was like no this is fucking cool man these guys are killing right now yeah so i think in that sense he was he was more of like the new guy kind of kind of like bringing in some some of like the heat that was happening at yeah. the time
0: yeah and i remember you know honestly um as somebody who was a metal kid and then became a hardcore kid and whatever, I always remember Igor from Sepultura being the guy that would wear Hate Breed and Earth Crisis and Integrity and, and all these bands that I was, you know, friends with or going to see or playing shows with or, or whatever at the time. And that was in a similar way to Newstead repping Sepultura. I remember for a lot of us kids in the hardcore scene, especially in the Midwest. You know, even getting somebody like Derek, who was a known hardcore guy in Cleveland, you know, like, I don't know, it was always, it was a very similar sort of thing. Like Igor was the guy in Sepultura, who was like Newstead, the guy in Metallica, who was repping for Integrity and Hatebreed and stuff yeah. like that. I always thought that was really, really cool. What's well, making you psych these days? What are you inspired by, music-wise?
1: There's a lot of cool stuff, man, I have to say. You know, like, that's the thing about me and Max, we, we still act like we're 15. yeah. Every time we see each other, I, I I have to drop like at least like fifteen names on on, on his like Spotify thing. Yeah. And then he's the same. He's like, dude, check out this black metal thing, you know, like from. And he always find like the craziest, most obscure shit. So it's really cool. We exchange a lot of ideas. I think one of the last bands he showed me, it was a uh, Zeal and Ardor. Uh huh. Yeah, those guys from uh, Switzerland. Yeah, and that—that uh, that was pretty. Th- cool.
0: That's a name. I, that's a name I've been seeing. I haven't actually listened to it yet, so I gotta check it's that
1: super out. Super cool. It's uh, it's almost like it has this like a slave kind of like vibe to it. I love you
0: know, I love how that's... enslaved has gotten like all weird and psychedelic in these last like several albums and, but still like, yeah. you know, dark
1: yeah no i you know it's and then i don't know like now of course like the the, the late the latest uh full of hell the record it's insane. Yeah.
0: and you got you guys so, took them on tour with the roots thing right They toured it yeah.
1: i also did a remix for one of their songs for like their japanese uh, version of the record mm-hmm. which came came out with a few remixes like something more electronic so and of course the body so it's one of those bands that it's my favorite right now. Like They're insane. They're so good. Like a duo. Also, again, like two crazy guys making a lot of weird noise. And yeah. uh, there's the cool stuff. I don't know. Yeah, this band called Vatican Shadow. I haven't heard that. Yeah, it's not really a band, it's more like a, a project. And it's really cool stuff. More electronic, noisy, kind of like in, almost like industrial
0: to check that out vatican shadow i know uh, your brother was telling me he was baptized at the vatican yeah (laughs) speaking of the vatican it's crazy man
1: that's the most evil place on on the on earth to be better than the vatican (laughs) a lot more evil more evil than anybody else
0: a a lot of evil is associated with that it's funny you know i had this conversation with with dwid not that long ago about he was saying he's like you know all these black metal guys that are so evil He's like, they should really all become Catholics because the Catholic Church has done the most evil.
1: <laughs> That's it. Yeah. He nailed it as as always. Dwid is is also a really good friend.
0: Yeah. He's uh one of, he's one of my oldest friends, actually. We've known each other since nineteen you know, it's funny actually, is I just I just dug this out semi recently. It's sitting right here on my desk. This is the uh I don't know if you can see that there it is, the integrity yeah. demo that Dwid sent me and... 1989 and uh it still has this was actually how we met and I've I do and I have so few things I have so little things from my childhood pictures or whatever but I have this letter that Dwight wrote to me (laughs) in 1989 with this phone number that's how we met and we've been friends ever since
1: that's cool. He, I, I love him. He's a, such a cool guy.
0: He's the best. Yeah, I saw he, he came out and uh, I think sang a Motorhead song or something with you guys when you were in Europe yeah, class.
1: because it's funny because I do a lot of electronic stuff in, in Ghent in Belgium. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was walking around and I saw this guy that looked just like him. And we kind of like look at each other and we're like, nah. <laughs> and then I, I came back to, to my hotel and then I get a message like, dude are you in Belgium? And I was like, holy shit, it was you. Yeah. And then we were just in the same place, but we couldn't believe we, we saw each other. And the next day we went for a coffee. And then every time I, I'm in Ghent in Belgium where he lives, we, yeah. we hang out.
0: That's so really- cool. And especially to see each other in Belgium. Cause it's like, no, he lives in Brazil. No, he's from Cleveland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's we're, like exactly. Totally off. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got to ask you the last question. Um, you know, obviously, Max has Cavalera Conspiracy, Soulfly, Killer Be Killed, these different things he's doing. Um, and I know that, you know, you do a lot of the electronic stuff, the noise stuff. Obviously, people are familiar with Mix Hell. Um, do you have uh, any inclinations towards doing something else metal in addition to Cavalera? Is there, you know, like a a band with Dwid, for example, uh, you know, or, no, or something like
2: that?
1: I, I Actually, I talked to him about maybe doing something in the future, because he's one of my favorite uh like singers. Yeah. So, yeah, so maybe that that would come like there, there's also some ideas of, of doing something a little more hardcore, not so much metal. Mhm. Some friends here in London. I, I have this this really good friend, he sings in a Turbo Negro.
2: Yeah. Sure. And
1: uh, he used to be in a lot of like hardcore bands and we've been talking maybe about doing a project together like Oh, that's cool. Just fun. Yeah, so th- there is stuff but then again, it's hard, you know, like with everyone doing so much stuff all the time. To actually sit down and, and, and write a record, it's it's a lot of work.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I don't
1: know when when that would be possible, you know.
0: Yeah, like you were saying with the Cavalera record, you gotta carve out the time and focus and do it, and then it's like, okay, I'm sick, but yeah. this is <laughs> it's now or never. Yeah. We gotta make this record right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's not so, gonna happen.
1: Yeah, it, it it has to, you know, so. Hopefully, I have a little more time to to do some some different projects, which I always love to. And uh, and then Max, of course, he he's like the James Brown of metal, <laughs>
2: yep.
1: like the hardest working guy in the in the metal. He he doesn't stop.
0: Yeah, Greg Greg always says uh, he's like Max pisses riffs. <laughs> yeah,
1: he he does. And, and not another funny story in the in the record is that. At one point, Arthur, which is the producer, Uh he ended up with like, I don't know, like 20 CDs full of Max's riffs. And at one point, we had to stop and we're like, look, man, we have material here for like five records. (laughs) You need to stop on this. And he was like, yeah, 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 sure. But it's like you're saying, like he just shits riffs every day. They're good ones, so that, yeah. That's be- the
0: thing, too. Good ones. That's what's so insane about it, you know. Kill yeah, and it's like the records only happen. Even it seems like when somebody like you or Arthur or Greg or you know somebody comes in and is like, all right, let me take all these riffs and do some yeah. shit here. And like <laughs> you know, we got to make a record, man. So slow down with the riffs. Yeah, I love it. Well, Igor, thank you so much for thank taking you, the time bro. to do this, man.
1: I'm glad it worked out.
0: Well, thanks, man. We'll uh, stay thank safe out there and uh yeah hope to talk to you
1: soon hope to see you
0: soon man yeah man cheers take care if you would like to support this podcast all i'm going to ask you to do right now is go to the itunes store Either go through the podcast app on your iPhone, go on your desktop, go on your Dell computer, your, maybe you have one of those computers with a little alien ad on it, whatever you've got, go to iTunes, five stars, just a sentence is all you really got to leave. The more of those five star reviews that we get with a sentence or two written to accompany it, the higher the visibility for the podcast, the more people can discover it, and when we reach 100 reviews, I'm going to pick one of you fine people who has reviewed this podcast at random and send you the deluxe collector's edition box set of Kill em All, the debut album from this band called Metallica, courtesy of our friends at Warner Music. You can find Speak & Destroy on all the various social media platforms. You can find me at Ryan Downey on Twitter, at Superhero HQ on Instagram. Speak & Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. As always, you guys have been great. And I've been Ryan J. Downey.